Hello and welcome to the Chair's Corner from the Department of Medicine at the University of North Carolina. This is our series for patients focused on organ transplant and today we'll get to hear from a patient who's had a kidney transplant and what that experience was like. So we welcome Kevin Howell. Kevin received a kidney transplant in 2016 and, and you may be interested to know he holds a very esteemed position in the UNC system as a senior vice president for external affairs. So today, I'll get to ask him what it was like to get sick, what it was like to get a transplant, what recovery was like, and how things are going today. So welcome, Kevin. Thank you, Dr. Falk. Let's start by reliving what it was like when you were really a healthy human who had no clue whatsoever that you might have any kind of disease whatsoever. How long ago was that? It was October 30th, 2015 is when my kidneys began to fail. I uh, was with a friend and decided to actually, I made a phone call to you, Dr. Falk, and best counsel that I received uh, was to drive to UNC Chapel Hill Hospital as soon as possible. I never believed that um, my kidneys would actually go out. I've always been very active, working out, doing hot yoga, running around the General Assembly, um, wrestled in college, so it never really dawned upon me that this could actually happen to me. In reality, though, Kevin, you had been ill before October of 2015. It was just at that point in time that you were really getting ill. Yes, sir. That is, uh, that's correct. I was in a state of denial. I thought because I was eating right, going to church, working out. I thought that whatever was going on within my body, that I could actually defeat it. And I was wrong. Um, but it took me a while to get around to the point to admitting that I was wrong, even though I was informed that this would happen. You know, what's interesting is, is that kidney disease is such a silent disease. It's a measured by a blood test and you can't feel your kidneys are failing because they can't scream. They can't tell you if your heart's not getting blood, your heart ends up sending pain signals. And when the kidney is not doing well, there are no messages at all except for blood tests. So it comes as no surprise that you thought you were doing well. Yeah, and the symptoms began to come. And again, I've been the worst patient probably ever. I ignored those until the, uh, until the end. In fact, I was had symptoms like regurgitating, being tired. I would often say, well, what did I eat today? Did I eat something wrong? I was looking for those excuses to say that I was going to be all right. And I think that brings me back to any time that a patient or, or, or someone is experiencing pain or your body is doing something differently, the best counsel and advice I could give to someone is get it checked out, you know, as soon as possible. But I really thought that somehow that I could defeat it or it was just going to change around, which is ignorance, a big ignorance on my part that could have cost my life. Is there a stigma of having a kidney disease? Do, do you, does one feel embarrassed about saying I have a kidney disease? People aren't embarrassed to say I have breast cancer. By all means, Dr. Falk, uh, and I think that was part of what I was experiencing. Oftentimes, you look internal, you ask yourself the question, what did I do wrong? Why is this happening to me? You know, and you think that folks, whether it's your liver, your kidney, or, or whatever an organ, 
that perhaps, you know, you are portrayed as a, a drug addict, an alcoholic, or just you feel the blame that perhaps I did something terribly wrong and then the perception that people have of you, uh, which is not the case at all. It's not the case. It's, it's not, not. It's completely it inaccurate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Most kidney disease, the vast majority of kidney diseases are from high blood pressure or diabetes yeah. or an autoimmune condition. And if we knew how to stop those diseases from hurting the kidney, uh, we wouldn't have the uh, huge number of patients with chronic kidney disease. That's true. It's so there's true. nothing one can do. But, but still, there is this stigma that has never really completely vanished. Yeah, and it's amazing, though, because when you look at kidneys, it's what you said exactly. Is it any difference from from having cancer, breast cancer, or prostate, we look at those somewhat different. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know why that is. Um, but I, I do think that um, for me, I just felt as though that I was in, maybe I felt invincible. I felt like this no ways could happen to me. Everything in my life was just going perfect. And I just knew that this was something that I would get over or surely it's not happening to me. So in October of 2015, when you did come finally to the hospital because uh, a good friend of yours actually almost tied you down to make you come, (laughs) and even then it was uh, in the hall of the hospital, not in some (laughs) other organized place, that uh, you and your friend and I all had this interesting discussion of, hey, Kevin, you have to wake up. Yes, sir. I will never forget that part of my journey in life. Uh, my good friend, Andy Willis, uh, we were, and, and yourself, we were at the hospital and you had reviewed my uh, tests. And uh, I will remember that you said that my kidneys have failed. And I immediately looked at you and I said, both of them. And you said, yes. And that's when reality had uh, totally set in for me. I began to think about my family, uh, my two girls, my wife, um, what my life would uh, look like, what I would do now. I love what I did in terms of lobbying the members of the General Assembly. And I'll tell you, it it was a wake-up call indeed. You know, what's interesting, though, is still in 2017, there's so many people who arrive and need emergent dialysis because either they've never been told they had kidney disease or, in fact, they've been told and haven't really wanted to accept the that uh, blood test reality. What advice would you give to somebody listening to say, wait a minute, don't get to the point of, of really becoming ill? I would simply say... You know, it's not worth it. If you are sick, if you're kid, if you're experiencing kid, go to the doctor ASAP. And I would also advise make sure that you know you feel comfortable uh, with the medical attention that you are receiving. I would say that for me and uh, after my kidney transplant and others, I've um, advised many people to come to Chapel Hill. Your life is too valuable, too precious to just actually do what I did. I also said about dialysis was a word that I didn't really know about. You know, I made some 
made a lot of mistakes with my medical attention. I guess that's what makes me pretty good at this now because I can tell people what not to do. I'm blessed. I'm lucky. I'm glad that I, I really did get a second chance. Uh, when I think about it coming over today, walking through the hospital, um, creatinine at 28 and, you know, been told that your kidneys, you have kidney failure. It's that's that's pretty harsh to hear. And even though the warning signs you had shared with me beforehand exactly that this would happen. But um, you really learn tremendously much about the next steps and paying attention, you know, once that message is delivered to you. It's just amazing. The whole process, the whole going for from where I went healthy one day, as you've asked that question, to all of a sudden knowing that I need help. And it's perhaps maybe as I think through this, it's a stage that I've never been in in my life. I'm always the person to solve issues and solve problems for so many other people. And now the situation is reversed. It's me calling out for help. So where you got a lot of help also was from your family, especially from your wonderful wife. Yeah, Alita is awesome. And uh, I did get a lot of um, assistance even when I heard those words that my kidneys had failed me. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know exactly what that meant. Hearing the word dialysis versus livealysis is a name that I want to change it to. You know, when I first told of the possibility of going on dialysis, I frowned at that. You know, and I didn't want to be that person that would always be hooked up to a machine. And I actually told my wife and my family um, that if it was time for me to go, it's time for me to go. But I really didn't know what I was talking about at all. And I think back at that, if I listen, sometimes you have to take self out of the equation and actually listen to what your doctors, what your nurses, and what the experts are saying. Or your wife. And my wife. That's exactly right. You worked, though, straight through this whole transition from being told you needed to have kidney replacement therapy to starting some dialysis, and then working on getting a transplant. How'd you pull that off? That was actually part of, the, part of the the best thing that happened to me was going to dialysis, one of the best things. And I say this for a reason. So 5 o'clock every morning, I was blessed to be able to be near my dialysis center. Um, it's about five minutes from my house. About 4.30 every morning, I would wake up, and 5 o'clock, I would be at the dialysis center. And so I wanted to do something differently. I wanted to go into dialysis, not just go back to bed and sleep. Uh, but I would start working early on. I would read, um, read a lot of information. I looked at this as a job. I would journal. I would talk about all of my different experiences. That was one of the things that I did in the hospital, that all of the individuals that were coming in and out of the, my hospital room and how they were helping me and assisting me. And there were people that I never knew, probably if they I walked by them on the street, wouldn't even speak to them perhaps. But now I'm depending on them for every single thing, for my existence. And so I did the same thing with 
while I was on dialysis, my days were Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays from about five o'clock to in the morning to about eight thirty, nine o'clock. And then I would go to work every um, every day. But it was you look around the room and you see so many other patients uh, and you feel like you're not alone <laughs> because everybody else in the room, they're going through the same things that you're going through. It's a community. It's, it's a, a community, community of, of fellow travelers. It is. And we need to actually talk about kidneys failure, renal failure, a lot more than I think that we have in the past. I've been surprised at the number of people after they found out what happened to me. I mean, I've received a number of phone calls I received from friends and others that they too are going through the same things. And I would hate that they make, you know, some of the similar mistakes that I had, I had made previously. Talk to me about the process of finding a kidney donor. You're on dialysis. We needed to get you a a donor. There are two types, as we've talked about in a previous podcast, uh, deceased donors and living donors. You were lucky to find a a living donor. How did did you find that person? (laughs) Or did they find you? I think they found me. Um, from day one, it's a faith walk. I have to say it's a faith walk. Um, you know, it's, it's, when you think about it, you're actually asking someone for part of their body. You're asking someone, Hey, this is my blood type. Can I have your kidney? (laughs) Now that's a tall order to ask someone. And I was blessed again with uh, my wife, Alita and Andy Willis. This is the part that my goal was to concentrate on recovery and doing everything I supposed to do. And I think Alita and Andy, who I've known for a number of years, they began with the um, internet, e- sending out emails and updating people. And um, I think a lot of people um, inquired about it. It gave them an opportunity to learn more about uh, kidney disease. But I was very fortunate to have someone right in my my office, uh, Lindsay Ritchie, who came forward uh, and said, I think I'm going to give you my kidney. And it's the, the most wonderful gift anybody can possibly give. It is an awesome gift. And I often tease with Lindsay by saying, if I would have known you were going to give me your kidney, I would have at least taken you out to lunch or sent <laughs> you flowers. But you can't best believe that I've done those things now. Uh, but it forces yourself, when that happens to you, you have to ask the question for yourself, are you willing to help somebody else in need? Because you ought to be able to help someone else in need uh, if you are going to be on the receiving end. And when Lindsay first started talking about it, I must admit, I didn't know she was going to be a match. All of this is done in a confidential way when other individuals were talking about saying that I'm going to at least try I was blown away. I was I was just blown away of kindness, of love, or of people just willing to do something in order to save my life. And so it, it leaves you with that feeling on the inside of you. I call Lindsay at least every Tuesday still of uh, every week. And when I started that, she said, how long are we going to do this? I said, however long I'm living, you can expect a call. And of course, Tuesday was the day of um, of my surgery, 
but you think about it that somebody is willing to take a part out of their body to be to have an operation to go through that particular process for you and uh, that's a lot she's doing well now she's doing great um, Lindsay's doing great and uh, I think she's enjoyed telling other individuals about what it means to be a donor and um, and I think that's so important to, right otherwise people wait for a long time on lists for a deceased donor a living donor especially in what's called an altruistic donor like Lindsay yeah. just is uh, uh, just fantastic it's almost every time that someone asks me this question it just it does bring tears to my eyes. You're, you've left with this feeling of being grateful, being thankful, you know, because there are a lot of people um, on dialysis today. And perhaps if someone would step forward and at least get checked, you lose nothing by getting, getting checked for um, a loved one or for a friend. And to have someone that I did not expect who, she doesn't look like me, she's a woman, I mean, I mean, and so somebody that's in your office, but you never would have expected that that person would be the person to offer their kidney is amazing to me. And it just goes to show that you never know that the people around you, uh, how you might be an asset or how they might be an asset in order to help save your life. And, um, and so it behooves us to treat everyone <laughs> with respect and uh, kindness, um, really, because you don't know. So your health right now is, is really spectacular. You work out in the gym, you're on a treadmill, you do, as you say, yoga, and you're working in uh, a full bore. How long did it take to get back to actually better health than what you started? It did not take long at all, and I'm reminded that I think I have more energy today than I did uh, before kidney failure. I think I'm in better shape. I have more energy. I just have a purpose about living now. When you've been given a second chance at life, when so many other people could have been given that chance, but it's you now, how you treat people, all people. I think the important thing is always to follow doctor's orders you don't start I mean they give you a list of things what you should do how much you can lift you, you really have to pay attention I was telling a friend of mine that those who do kidney transplants and work on who, who's in this field they've been doing this for a reason they know they are the experts and you try not to deviate from what they're suggesting that you do and if you stay on track and listen to the directions it's a lot better than than not doing that. And so I've been pretty uh, blessed and uh, lucky with my treatment plan. So what message would you share with someone who's, who's facing the possibility of, of needing a transplant? Not being afraid to, um, if you don't feel comfortable in asking um, someone for a kidney, to have people around you who can do that job for you you will be surprised of just the energy, the surgery, um, the expertise that they do have here at UNC Chapel Hill Hospitals. If you're on dialysis, I would say that pay attention. I mean, they give you 
here are the foods that you can eat. Here's how much liquid that you have to have in your body. Don't deviate. It's not, it's not worth it. And don't give up. I think so many times it's easy uh, with kidney failure for people, for myself, to, to give up. I had one of the best pity parties I could have until my wife sent a, an email uh, to me that said that she didn't think that she married a quitter. And oftentimes you find yourself in a predicament or a situation like this that you would have never imagined in your life. But when you find in that, you just have to keep people around you to encourage you and to lift you up when you have nothing left on the inside. But it's a journey. And then I think once you receive the kidney transplant, I think our job now is to go out what we're doing today and to tell other people about your experience, to encourage them. Uh, because we are a community. We are those who going through something similar and it's important that um, we bring along others who are experiencing the same thing it's really important uh, all the things you just said I just want to stress the the message though that you, it's sometimes very important for loved ones and friends to help ask yeah. that question because it is very hard to say <laughs> will you please give me your right kidney That's and right. it's easier <laughs> if your spouse or your loved one or a, a, a colleague can reach out for you. And you'll be surprised. I would say don't always look in your circle. Oftentimes in life, I think this one takeaway, it's easy to look at your group of friends, your family members, but I think the amazing thing about this is that there are so many other people uh, that watch you every day, that know you every day. You'll be surprised what they're willing, uh, willing to do and uh, to risk um, their body, the risk, their um, injuries to them. Um, but it, it just leaves you with a feeling that I cannot even express with words. Um, but I do believe that it's something that, you know, once you receive it, it's important that you deliver the message to so many other people. And it, it leaves you grateful and thankful for the second chance of life. Kevin, you're so, such an inspiring figure. So thank you, Kevin, for uh, sharing your story with us. Thank you, Dr. Falk, for having me on here. And actually, thank you for saving my life, my friend. Thanks. Thanks so much to our listeners for tuning in to our next episode. Well, we'll discuss liver transplant with Dr. Skip Hayashi and Dr. David Gerber. If you enjoy this series, you can subscribe to The Chair's Corner on iTunes or like us on Facebook. Thanks so much for listening.